Hello and welcome to the Kiwi Advisor Network podcast. I am the host Warwick Slow and today's guest is Alistair Ross from Revolution Infosec. Alistair is a self-described uh, information security geek and he works with some advice businesses on how they can shore themselves up against cybersecurity threats. In this video, what we discuss is 10 or 12 tips that you can implement that are really easy, that'll make a big difference. Uh, it's like insurance, you know, it's the type of thing where if you put a little bit of time in now, you'd be so happy you did in the future. Um, Alice is really approachable. He actually runs his own podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, so it was a great conversation. Uh, dives very deep into it. So please persevere. It's definitely worth it. And if you could only pick one or two things out of it, you'll be so stoked you did it in the long run. So this does count towards your CBD hours. Uh, so make sure you log it. And if you'd like to listen to this on uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can find us there at Can Podcast. So otherwise, enjoy the podcast. Alistair Ross from Revolution InfoSec. Thanks for joining us here today. Pleasure to be with you, Warwick. One of those things I think a lot of financial advice businesses probably know is really important, yeah. but it's difficult to know where to start. There is just so much information out there. I think the market, um, it's just a wash with information. And how do you make sense of it all? Really, you just want to get on with running your own business. You don't want to think all the time about cybersecurity, unless you've got a team of people who are eager as hell to just get on with cybersecurity, which is probably not most of New Zealand business. Well, most of the financial service businesses, are 50% of them actually are one to three person entities. So you don't, you know, you're already focusing on so much marketing, sales, you know, advice process, compliance, there's a lot to, to worry about without even taking into account info, information security. So you had some stats before that I think you were going to yeah. share with us. Yeah, I think, uh, look, all the cybersecurity people seem to come out with all these stats that I guess are made to scare you. And I hate scaring people because, you know, there's, that's been done to death. But I think it, there's two stats that have come out pretty recently. So one, the first one I'll give you, it came out in May of this year, 2023. And I think for me, that's probably the biggest. And that is that 83% of New Zealand businesses, and that's why I like it. This is about our market. 83% of New Zealand businesses are either underprepared or really underprepared for a cyber incident. So we're burying our heads in the sand. And that came out from the market leader in sort of IT security slash networking, and that's Cisco. So that was all over stuff, uh, the, the newspaper. And I think that one really hit home for me that us as a nation specifically are not ready for a cyber incident. And the thing about these cyber, about cyber incidents, sorry, is that it's not a matter of if it will happen, it's a matter of when. And I think the biggest problem there is, you know, the blast radius to our organizations, especially if we're a three or four person business, is if we have our head in the sand, the blast radius is probably the entire business or could be the entire business. And I think it's really important from a risk mitigation perspective that we take that big blast radius that could affect the whole business and reduce it right down. So it's all about managing our risk. The other statistic, which came out from IBM and is a bit more holistic, it's about the, the market as a whole, is that the average cost of a cyber incident is 4.35 million, and that's US dollars, uh, with 83% of the market experiencing one or more security incidents. So that that's a more recent, uh, I think that was back in I think May or, uh, sorry, June, June or July of this year. I like that you don't want to scare people. <laughs> it naturally is a scary, we try the same thing with compliance, you know, because people are scared of the FMA. Yeah. And, you know, uh, what we're preaching is, look, don't worry about it. Let's try and like build your confidence, build your processes so that you feel well versed yeah. so that if something were to happen, you're well prepared because mm -hmm. it can happen in a variety of different ways. Even this morning, my mum, who's in her 60s, she got a text from somebody that said, uh, hey, mum, this is my new number. Delete my other one and save this. Yeah. And so impressed with her. Her alarm bell started ringing. She sent a message out. She's, I'm pretty sure this is a spam message, but just want to check with your kids that you haven't actually changed your number. And you just it's think like, yeah, yeah, I was actually like, really proud of her. I said, yeah. well done. But uh, you think about how many people out there, it's a numbers game. If you send yeah. that message out to a number of people and you have you know a bit of information about their demographic, who they are, you, you're probably going to get a few people responding. So I guess what, what we want to do is make the, the people seem less targetable 
so the least desirable target for the for the scammers and also just making people a bit wiser to the types of uh, ways that people will get access to their data. Yeah, and, and the thing is that with the scammers, uh, it's very cheap and very easy as well to send out these scams to millions of people. They don't care which country you're in. They, they don't care at all. So little old New Zealand, it's not... It's not that we're in New Zealand, it's any country. They just send these out and all they need is a handful of replies uh, to, to make these things worth their time. So if they spend it out to a million people and only five respond and they're suckered into these things, that's good enough for them, right? Uh, the fact that they can actually use your technology as a jumping point as well for free, if they've managed to get onto your tech and infect it with whatever their wares is, um, they can use your tech to send out more spam and more viruses or malware to make the message go further and then they use a command and control center to take it back. So I think realistically, um, yeah, it's very small numbers of people who are suckered in by this, uh, this sort of attack that really matter um, for, for them. So, yeah. And I guess today we want to approach uh, this episode as like, you know, what are some simple quick methods that businesses can do to, to make or slightly protect themselves in a cybersecurity sense. So um, I think there's, it can be quite tough because you don't know where to start. So we were trying to go through and get like a list of maybe like, you know, 10 or 12 key parts that are really easy to implement because yeah. it's, it's, like it's like your house or your car. You know, if somebody really wants to get in and steal it, they probably can. Yeah. But the key is making it the least desirable target as possible. That's right. And I think uh, if you look online for, um, best advice. There is quite a lot of good advice out there, but there is also a myriad of conflicting information or buy our product or whatever it might be. And realistically, what, what you're saying here is there's about 10 to 12 points, and we'll go through these today. So hopefully if you set those right, at least that limits that blast radius that I, I mentioned earlier on. I think that there is a really important thing. Once you reduce that blast radius, when, I, I say when, not if, when you get attacked, at least it's only going to be a small area and hopefully that won't affect your business in a big way. You might get a virus or something like that, but it only you know affects one PC and, and it's quick and easy to remedy that. So yeah, let's really try and help here to bring down that possible thing. But I wanted to also um, talk about how these things happen as well. Um, so first of all, um, the the reason that these things happen uh, could be, you know, phishing. That's a big um, area. I do have some statistics on that, but I, I won't bore you with those numbers right now. But phishing and spear phishing, which is the act of um, really dialing in to the information about that business. So some attackers will, you know, look on a website, first of all, and see who the CEO is of your business. You might have heard of these ones where people are asking for iTunes vouchers to, you know, <laughs> provide, you know, this somebody on on their on their team you know as a nice favor you know that's that's the idea of that is spear phishing right they've gone and done a little bit of research to find out a person's name in the business so that automatically creates a level of trust uh, because oh yeah i know that person that's the ceo um, and they're asking me, but you have to ask, why would the CEO want me to go down to the dairy and get some scratch cards? You know, stuff like that. It's a bit unusual. So it's all about using our minds and, and really second guessing. And so just like your mother there, she was she was clever enough to go, ah, hold on a minute. This just sounds a little bit strange. What's happening now as well is, you know, 2023, this chat GPT stuff, AI basically is becoming so clever that it's taking the manual approach of the spear phishing stuff away from the human being. So it's making that process even quicker. You know, there's not, there's not so much human interaction. So these spear phishing campaigns are going to get more and more intelligent and they're going to come out even thicker and faster. So I think that's one of the, the, Areas of how there's also social engineering, which is the act of phoning people up or just making really, really uh, clever contacts with people in a way that they try and make themselves very believable, sound trustworthy to the point where 
people release information that they probably shouldn't do. And that a lot is that can happen over the phone as well. So mm. don't just think of it as an email only thing. Um, there is insider threats. There's websites that you shouldn't click on and links in email as well. So all of that sort of stuff. And, and of course, there's good old viruses and malware. Um, and then, of course, there's just uh, negligence as well. People who, you know, do things they probably shouldn't. So there's a number of ways in um, on the how aspect. So just be aware that, you know, it's not just a one way in that causes um, these threats to actually start to perpetrate themselves within an organization. And another common one is also just physical yeah. people walking into the office. You've left your computer open, you left your phone on your desk, they take it, they go out, you've just gone off to make a cup of tea, all of a sudden, that that is a massive risk to the business. So running things like a clear desk policy is... Uh, that was one of the things I was going to raise. Yeah, definitely. A clear desk policy is a really, really good thing to have. Um, you know, I went I went out to the loo earlier on whilst we were setting up and preparing for this. I don't know if you noticed, but I had my laptop on the desk. The first thing I did was close the laptop yeah. so that nobody could get into it. Did you notice as well when I went to get waters, I locked the computers. There you go. There you go. You're See? on to it. Good, good, good. <laughs> good stuff. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, that... That is a really common one. People just will try it on. Mm -hmm. When I was living in the UK, I worked for a company and twice um, we had like an office downstairs and it was only one person in there and there was a back door that they used to go out and vape out. And I always said, make sure you lock the door when you go out. Yeah. Sure enough, they didn't. And we had it on video. Somebody came and grabbed their handbag and it happened twice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not just that laptops are valuables. It's not the, the theft aspect. It's about what information is on that laptop. Mm. And information, you know, is power, is knowledge, is worth something in this day and age. We used to be in the industrial revolution and in the industrial revolution, it was all about, you know, the steam engines making money. In today's industry, we're always about the information and what intellectual property could do to hurt your business. So anybody having that insider knowledge it's that that knowledge is worth a lot of money to some people. So, yeah, if you if it let, if it gets in the wrong hands, that's really um, very important to keep that information to yourself. Uh, yeah, definitely. And there are things, the physical threats as well. Since we're on the topic, um, recently I, I discovered a tool um, which I have wanted to play with, and it's called an OMG. There are others out there that exist, but the one that's popular is called an OMG. And it looks just like a normal charging cable for your iPhone or a USB thumb drive. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Plug it in. All of a sudden, it's taken over the keystrokes of your computer. Um, in some cases, you don't even need to be logged into the computer. So, you know, you could give it to somebody unwittingly. They would plug it into the USB. And all of a sudden, that computer can now be remotely controlled. It has a Wi-Fi connection. It can completely take over your computer. So don't take USB sticks <laughs> or charging cables from just a stranger question these things so you really have to be vigilant yeah just trust trust your computer um sorry use your computer as if it was the crown jewels to your organization i can't stress that enough wow okay so th yeah there are a lot of things that um are out there and it can seem quite scary yeah a lot of things that can uh you know put, put people's businesses at risk but i think what are what are like, should we start going through the list? Like, what are those key parts that they can do? And look, we'll put some put some notes in, underneath in the show description just to, to link because I know it's a lot to remember. But yeah. if we start at the top, like, what would be the, the first thing you'd always recommend to somebody saying, how do I protect myself? I think so. Uh, yeah, definitely um, multi-factor authentication. This is not a new thing, but it's certainly growing and growing. So um, a lot of applications out there, you know, apps on your phone, apps on website, um, websites themselves, Rather than saying, you know, log in with a username and password, you, you have an opportunity to use multi-factor authentication. And there's apps out there such as the Microsoft Authenticator or the Google Authenticator app that do basically the same thing. There's also another uh, bunch of apps out there that, um, yeah, do the same thing. But ultimately, these apps 
they might have um, a username and a password and then another form of authentication. So they'll give you a sort of one-time token. There's also things like YubiKeys, which slot into a USB stick as well. So there are different methods of doing multi-factor authentication. There is two-factor authentication, which um, will connect via, um, um, sorry, allow you to log in via a uh, code on your mobile phone. So the text message. message. Absolutely. Now, um, that's shown to be weaker, and there are ways around that. So if you have an option whether you can use something like Google Authenticator versus the text mode, then always choose the, the Google Authenticator or the Microsoft Authenticator apps over the text one. So yeah, that would be my recommendation. But these are actually pretty easy. And once you get used to the routine of using some of these apps, they're really not that difficult. Um, you get into that routine. It's not time consuming. Um, and it's it's quite easy. Oh, I've got mine on my phone. Yeah. Mo, mo, every app that has it will have 2FA turned on. So when I jump on, the only annoying part is that you know, you're constantly logging into some systems and they don't seem, you click on that box that says, remember this device. But every time you log back in, it seems to want to do the 2FA, which is yeah, good and a bad thing. But. Yeah, I think some web browsers are more secure than others. So if you look at the, the usuals like Chrome and Firefox and so forth, they tend to store your cookies and they store them on your machine. And they, so when you click on that thing that says, remember my device, they will remember your device and that might be for 14 days. Now the upshot of that is obviously you don't have to keep entering your information. Great, it's very convenient, but whatever you have convenience, you also have a little bit of insecurity. So it's like that trade-off. Mm -hmm. The good thing about having other more stronger secured uh, web browsers, I use one called LibreWolf, which is basically, uh, a version of Firefox, which they've taken all the taken it right down to basics. So when you close the browser, it doesn't store any cookies. For example, um, there's a lot of web browsers out there. Brave is another one. Lots of them like Chrome. They they use the the Chrome basis, but then really make it very secure. So you can look into other web browsers as well and go, okay, well this one here um, takes that. And again, that that level of um, confidence in that that browser is it should be a little bit higher because it's not storing all of these things but the convenience factor is going down a little bit so yeah there's so 2fa i think most people will know about that yeah easy to set up yeah easy to manage for sure fantastic protection yeah because yep. we all know um the biggest risk is passwords and getting yep. in they're easy to crack. I remember there was a, I think it's gone. It used to have, I think it was um, howstrongismypassword.net or something like that. And you could type in your password. For example, you put in the word password and see how secure that is. And it says that it can be hacked in like two seconds or something like that. Right, that's right. And I, what we figured out is the longer your password is, the more secure it is. So if you if you type in one that's like 16 characters long, for instance, it, it'll say like it'll take 300 million years or something to hack before yeah. we have a quantum computer. Another story for another day. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, the longer the better. But um, what would be your kind of key takeaways for password hygiene? Yeah, I, I definitely use long passwords. Now, there used to be a philosophy of using really long, difficult passwords and then changing them regularly. I think that, I would say, is antiquated advice. Um, and I mean, like you were saying, there's quantum computing, but that that's coming. I think where we are right now is that even long passwords can still be cracked. It's just a matter of time. The, the power of computing, especially in the cloud, is getting really good all the time. So yes, you can change your passwords, but how are you going to do that in a way that you can realistically remember them? Um, so whilst you could probably remember a few passwords in your head, the amount of things that we generally have passwords for there are so many of them now, it's really impossible to remember lots of different passwords. So that's impractical. What I'd recommend is we use a password manager. And a password manager, there's lots of different password manager software out there. I think you know, you've got some recommendations and I have some recommendations. Um, LastPass, I think, is a piece of software <laughs> had a few problems, so I probably wouldn't recommend LastPass. But other than that, there's lots of good password manager software out there. What these password manager softwares 
allow you to do is there's a button on them that generates a very secure password with all sorts of strange letters and they could be 16 characters like you say and they also have you know things like characters like hashes and exclamation marks and so forth so they're, they're really passwords that you would never remember in a month of Sundays and pretty hard to crack. So the good thing about that is you don't have to remember them because the password manager remembers them for you and you can just copy and paste those into the website or the app that uh, needs to use them. So if you cannot use MFA, some websites don't give you the option to use MFA, at least you can use a password manager to pop the password into those websites. So when we went through and got our ISO certification, one of the things that I did was went look at all of my passwords across all of my accounts and change them. And it, I thought it was going to be a lot more difficult than it was, but we had we had Dashlane, which is a password manager setup, and you can go through and you can effectively go and just generate new passwords, click save, and then next time you log in, it just pre-fills that. That's it. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, changed my life. Yeah. Even I had some saved on uh, on like Google passwords, and I could export those. And then import them into into the into Dashlane as well. So if you've got them managed on like a separate system, I know some people have them set up through Google or um, I'm sure like Apple might even have a similar yeah. thing. You can export them and import them into a more not that they're right. not secure, but into another system that you'd prefer to use. And the thing is that I mean I think we're all guilty of this. I certainly was back in the day. Uh, is password reuse. Mm. So using the same password on multiple websites. Now, I used that password because I didn't really care about those websites. But the thing is, it doesn't matter. You should really get into a process of using good password hygiene. Never use the same password anywhere. Even if you think, oh, that, that doesn't really matter. It starts to picture, it starts to make a digital profile of you as an individual. So try not to ever reuse your password and using a password manager just to reset those passwords to stronger password is a really simple way of doing that. So, yeah. I think a lot of people would be guilty of that. They just have like adaptations of their password that have yeah. progressively got stronger. You think about the first password you set in like year 2000 yeah. basic and then they go oh, all of a sudden you need need to put some numbers in there need to make a capital letter need to add yeah. a character so you've got this like sort of bastardized version of your original password <laughs> you're still using so password one two three exclamation yeah exclamate oh no not a good thing not a good thing and what will happen often is um say if there's a data breach with the company and it's one of the ones you've just reused the password for they'll have potentially a copy of your email address they'll have a copy of your password there yeah. and Honestly, what they'll do is they'll just go, okay, what are some other accounts this person has? Let's just try that same username, same password, and then all of a sudden they're in. Yes. Yeah. So um, I think I was going to mention it later on, but it's, it's probably a good time to mention it. There's a website. Out, there's a few websites out there, but this one seems to be the sort of leader in, in finding this out. Um, this is the sort of stuff that you would get forensic um, cybersecurity people to look into back in the day. But now with the advent of websites like Have I Been Pwned, that's P-W-N-E-D, we'll put it in the description, I'm sure, but yeah. uh, com. it's a really good website because what it does is every time there's a new breach that um, gets dumped on the dark web, for example, that website will... Type, uh, will show you if your information has been breached on that. So you can type in your email address and sometimes other things like your name or um, so forth, and it'll tell you, yes, it's been involved in this particular breach. So automatically what I would be doing when it's been found that your uh, account has been breached in that, whatever the website is, especially if you've reused your password or reused a variant of that password, you know, if you're going in there to haveibeenpwned.com to check for legitimate pur purposes, you can bet that other people who are more nefarious will be checking on websites like Have I Been Pwned to find out, oh, this person's been breached there. Oh, I've got some uh, password dump online. I'll just reuse that password and check it on these other websites, which may be more interesting and see it. So that's one reason why you should mm. never reuse a password. Yeah, that whole Have I Been Pwned thing. I had, I had two breaches, I think. Yeah. And just looking back, I can't even remember signing up to that. Yeah. And you know, I don't know what the password would be, so... Um, yeah, just a good. So have I been pwned.com, but it's basically have I been owned, but you replace the O with a P. Yeah. Have I been pwned? And um, put your email address in. You'll be surprised. There'll be one or two in there, I'm sure. Most yeah. people would have it. How many yeah. did you have? Oh, remember? well, I mean, I've been using a, a, a Gmail for sort of personal things, and there was quite a few. And I think the, the biggest one was LinkedIn. Mm. Um, <clears throat> 
I think LinkedIn had a, a really big breach back in 2020 or something like that. And, uh, you know, that was that was clear. So I think most people might find that they've got been involved in some sort of breach. Oh, LinkedIn in general. Link, yeah, LinkedIn's pretty bad. You can, in <laughs> fact, bad. you can look in your LinkedIn settings. It, I did it once. It took me like 15 minutes. But you have to go and turn off all of the data sharing settings yeah. in there. So if, if you're linked with a bunch of people on LinkedIn, what they'll do is they can actually export all of their contacts, email addresses, and information. So if you just have random salespeople adding you, you might go, oh, no worries, I'll add them. The next thing you know, you've got, they've got like all of their clients in a big list that they can then start you know, sending out marketing material to. Totally. Uh, and so that brings in the whole thing about privacy. So privacy is obviously different from cybersecurity, but if you value your privacy online, you really should be considering what things you should and should not switch on. And I think, um, look, I, I won't go into all the details of this, but every service online has a privacy policy. And of course, reading that privacy policy is a long process. Most oh. of these things, you've got pages and pages <laughs> and pages. But ultimately, I think just what you're saying there, going into the, the privacy settings of a service and just unticking everything that you don't like the sound of is probably a good thing and you might think that you have you're working with a trusted brand but if everything that you're not paying for there's a reason why you're not paying for it and that's because you become the product they're making money from you and your data um so that's all i'll say about that but even trusted reputable brands like microsoft for example if you think about the last time you paid for Microsoft Windows or something like that, you might notice that they've asked you to sign up for a Microsoft account. And you're thinking, well, do I, is there any real reason for this? I mean, maybe if you're using OneDrive or something like that, but you're not paying for the basic OneDrive subscription or you're not paying for you know, other services from Microsoft. And the reason you're not is simply because they can send you ads or they can send telemetry back to Microsoft. So there's a lot of information about you as an individual that maybe you don't want them knowing. So have a look in your privacy settings in Microsoft Windows if you use Windows. And and really, you, you might be surprised at the information they're collecting on you as an individual. So, yeah. It's uh, it's eye-opening. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of... I think, in fact, that's probably what we're going to see. We're going to see a big change and the way people engage with companies and how they value their data. I think that'll be like a big shift in the next kind of like 10, 20 years or so. Yeah. yeah. it's And and look, look, there's legislation coming in, especially in the financial services industry, that's um, really putting um, a lot of things about your privacy. And I think that that's going to you know only grow over, over time. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely... It's not the same as how it was just 10 years ago. There's a lot of impetus being put on an individual's privacy, which is only a good thing. But it's easier than ever to store information about individuals. And, and that's a, you know part of the technology, the world that we live in. And so. Good and a bad thing. Good and a bad thing. Yep. And then uh, this is one that I'm quite passionate about, yep. um, public Wi-Fi and yep. why you should not be connecting to it. Oh, goodness. Um, so as I say, I like to understand the technology behind things. And I said about that OMG USB stick or the, the charger cable. One of the things I also have is a device called the uh, Wi-Fi Pineapple. And that's a really interesting device. Yeah, it's, they've all got weird names. The Wi-Fi Pineapple. The Wi-Fi Pineapple, right? And it, it kind of looks like a pineapple. It's got all these antennas on it. And you can make baby versions of it that you could literally could go unseen. You could about The baby version sits in your pocket. It's that small. And you can actually make one yourself. So they don't even need a lot of investment. You could probably build one yourself if you're handy with a soldering iron for about 20 bucks. So what these things do is they... Um, in, in one of their modes, they have multiple modes, but I think the most scary one is the sort of what's called in the term, in the technology term, is a man in the middle attack. So they will set up, if you go to any airport, say, um, you know, yeah, Koru Lounge, and it's got a, it's got the name Koru or whatever, and it's a free Wi-Fi, so you can connect in there and you think, oh yeah, I'm in the Koru Lounge, I trust Air New Zealand, they're a good brand. This has nothing to do with Air New Zealand. The, the, the particular attacker could have their Wi-Fi pineapple or similar device and have their um, Wi-Fi access point and re rename it and call it Koru. 
So you just think, oh yeah, Coru, all good. They can even take the splash screen. So you know that when you log into the Wi-Fi, it mm. sets up that disclaimer saying, hey, you know, you're on the Coru Lounge thing now, and you know it's got the terms conditions. Yeah, terms and conditions tick here. It's got the logo on it, so it looks absolutely legit. So you're on the internet, everything's great. You might go to your internet banking, you might log in with your username and password. But what it's doing is it's sucking all of that information that you put in there usernames, passwords, bank account details, everything, and putting them to one side, storing that information, and then just forwarding you on to the legit website. So you're none the wiser, absolutely none the wiser. There might be a little delay. There might be, you know, uh, oh, you, that login didn't work. You want to try again. So then it redirects you. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways that this can get you. So there's not just a one method. That's just a, that's a typical method, This what's called man-in-the-middle attack. Um, so my philosophy on public Wi-Fi is never trust it. I, I just simply won't use it. Now, obviously, everybody's got different ways around it. You could use a VPN to encrypt that traffic, but you just simply don't know how these things are protected. So my opinion is I don't use it. I've got my mobile phone and I switch on my hotspot on there. And of course, that's using your data plan, but unless you don't trust your mobile provider, you're much more safe using that. So yeah, the, I could go on and on and on. Oh, no, public no. Wi-Fi. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I mean, don't trust it. It's one of those things you, you go to a random airport and you're sitting there and you go, I, I'm in a country that I'm not, not normally in. I'm not going to get a SIM card. How do I connect to the internet while I'm at the, at yeah. this airport? Yeah. So you connect to it as risky. So like what, like, let's say you're in a situation like that. Like what are some things you can do to, you know, do you not log into important apps? Do you just, um, uh, it's. I mean, it's really hard, but I, I simply don't log in. I don't do anything with my mobile devices um, at all. So I just leave read them on. <laughs> I just, yeah, read a book, yeah. uh, honestly. Uh, same goes for hotels as well. I just simply won't use it. I get myself a SIM card, um, hopefully from a brand that I would trust. Um, uh, mostly, you know, I think you're all right with the with the con uh, countries that you go to, and um, but there are, of course, some countries you might not trust their mobile networks as well, um, and it's just a case of you know figuring out how to, who to trust and and what to trust. Okay, because yeah, the last thing you need is connecting to some Wi-Fi just to do a bit of Facebook, and then next thing you know, you're actually sending your data to somebody. Exactly. A little, uh, and and when you when you switch on your device, um, even when you've not gone to even our website, the amount of information that your device is probably just doing on startup, such as getting email. If I mean, it's quite common. I'll leave my email app open. So if you use Outlook, for example immediately as soon as it comes online and even some Macs I think do periodical just searches for new email even when they're in sleep mode oh. right yeah and uh, that's a feature of the the Apple operating system so they'll they'll just ping your mail server and just see if there's new mail so that when you start up your computer all the mail's just instantly there so that's helpful but it's also a hindrance if you're in, you know, somewhere that you don't trust. So, yeah, again, I could probably go on and on and on about this, but yeah. don't trust that's it. The, Basically, that's the crux of it. Yeah. And it might not be an issue, like in most places, you you, you might be fine, but it's just yeah. like, yeah. why risk it? Um, and then the other one we were going to talk about is keeping your devices up to date. Yeah. yeah. Why is that important? Oh, look, um, this morning on the way in to see you, I... Uh, Get a, I mean, I'm obviously into my cyber security, so I get my news is is really sad. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I you know, there's BBC News and it's telling you all these things, and then my news pop-ups is all about ODs. <laughs> you know, it's all about cyber security things. So it's really, yeah, pretty geeky. But the thing, the thing is, yeah, I got no life. Um, I guess the thing is, you know, I'm seeing this information and I get the latest in cyber threats, um, which I guess you'd hope that I would. But most people aren't going to see that information because it's not of interest. And it's boring. It's boring, yeah. Okay, now, why are we doing this episode? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully you're not 100% bored. By no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, like I mentioned, there, there's a term called ODE, which basically means there's a cyber event on some software that a lot of people might use that has a zero-day ODE. And what that means is that that um, risk has come out within within a day 
and has been um, that vulnerability in a, a known piece of software, and people have exploited that already. Now, um, most of the vulnerabilities that we have in our software aren't ODAs, but ODAs are particularly worrisome because nobody's had a chance to fix them yet. Um, software vulnerabilities can happen, and these are the things that people online will exploit. Uh, so it's not just ODs. If you don't update your computer, if you don't patch it, that's what the tech term is, then you are at a higher level of risk of being exploited for these vulnerabilities. And that could mean that your computer could then be used as a spam bot to send more spam. It could mean that your malware could um, could be infecting your machine. It could be that you get your subject to ransomware, you know, and then your computer's completely locked out and scrambled. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues that could happen as a result of the vulnerabilities. So I guess you're saying they figure out there's a problem yeah. with their software or maybe yeah, something to do with like Microsoft or one of your apps or one of your programs that you use, yep. and they go, "Quick update, so we can patch over the security flaw." Yeah. So there's yeah. a big there's a big bloody hole in the back the back of the house. We're gonna put a put a door on it. So <laughs> make yep. sure you update them. So today's ODE was the Chrome web browser. Oh so really? Yeah. So that obviously millions and millions of people worldwide use Chrome. I would say billion. Day. Yeah, billions. Yeah. Right? A lot of people, it's the most popular web browser made by Google. And there's a thing called WebP, which does um, images. So what, what I'm saying is that, you know, normal web browsing, you view images all the time. Well, there's a particular aspect to the Chrome browser, which was found today to be vulnerable, uh, which has been vulnerable for a long time, but the vulnerability was found today and has been exploited in the last day or two. That's therefore called an OD. So if somebody attacked you or sent you an email or you know gave you a link to a website that exploited that particular OD, then they could have access to your computer and therefore, ergo, the information that is on your computer. Update your Chrome. Update your Chrome, absolutely. And, and that's a constant thing. You just need to keep your computer up to date. And it is a pain. It can take a while oh, even to, to update. I know. It's a, just, just before we recorded this podcast, my computer said, oh, we need to do an update. <laughs> it took about half an hour. It was a big one. Yeah. Um, it, it can be a real pain in the bum. Luckily, you're a patient man, Alex. <laughs> okay. And then um, the, the next part we we're going to talk about was uh, making sure that you're you're using simple... Wait, no you're not using simple account recovery questions. So like, what's your mum's maiden name? That type of thing, I assume. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it, it kind of just goes with what we were talking about earlier on with passwords. So if you've got, um, you know, your, your passwords can be recovered, um, having a simple password recovery process, uh, these information about you as an individual, if you think about, information that you put up on social media, for example, on Facebook or Twitter or something like that, or the social engineering I talked about earlier on about people phoning up. They don't have to phone you up. They could phone somebody else up that knows you fairly well and gather these pieces of information about oh, what's your mother's maiden name or what's your date of birth or all that. So if you use these simple password recovery uh, information, um, then it's basically as good as having your password for your computer and so forth. So put your deepest, darkest secrets as your recovery questions. <laughs> Maybe not your deepest, darkest deepest, secrets. darkest Because <laughs> that could be quite dodgy yeah, as true, well. True, true, true. Yeah, you don't want, don't want, don't want people knowing that. that but... Well, they already know it. They've got all the, they've got all the insights already. Yeah. So yeah, to just try not to use something which would be dead simple. Okay. Yeah. And then antivirus software. What's your recommendation around that? Because I can't stand Norton and, and McAfee. I feel like they're just... Yeah. They're almost like malware disguised yeah. as virus. They, they are, yeah. So I mean, my my particular favorites are are not uh, not like you'd say McAfee or Norton. Um, they have been around for a long time, and they they were really good. But I think uh, I don't want to you know go on and say oh you need to buy this brand i'm not really i'm quite you know agnostic agnostic yeah that's the word i was looking for there you go. i could just tell <laughs> so, i don't i don't i won't say a particular brand but i think um there i think use your own um your own imagination and go out and do some research it's, it's definitely worthwhile looking at the different products out there um but i would say yes 
uh, to your point, McAfee and um, Norton were really reputable brands at one point in time. And McAfee was actually the very first antivirus product out there in the 1980s. But they all got bought over by companies that were really more interested in just making money. So whilst they probably do do antivirus, there's a whole heap of other stuff that's kind of in that software, like you say, that kind of almost makes them like malware themselves. So yeah, there are other brands out there. Um, and so it doesn't take long to go on a Google search and just ask ask Google what the best brands are and you'll find out quite quickly. Don't click on the sponsored links, obviously, because no. they're going to say, but yeah, there's quite a lot of impartial advice out there. So do, do a little bit of research yourself. Yeah, there's 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 plenty of good products out there and you don't necessarily have to pay a lot of money. And what about the Windows Defender that's on updated yeah. systems? How does that compare? So that's the default one, right? Yeah, and, and it's actually pretty good. Um, I would say that um, I've back in the day, um, Microsoft didn't provide antivirus with your PC and you had to go off and buy a product to secure your PC from malware and viruses as they were known back in those days. But these days, uh, Defender is is a really good product and it's just a case of making sure that that's kept up to date. So whatever you have, just make sure you keep it up to date. And for those using uh, Mac, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the myth back in the day that they kind of it came was. with its own protection. But Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah, again, um, whilst there are antivirus products out there for Macs, um, I would still probably recommend that you have an antivirus product on your Mac, just in the same way that you have on your PC. Um, it is true that Macs have less viruses or malware for them, um, simply because they're a lower target. Yeah, I think it covers about three or four percent of the overall PC market, the computer market, the personal computer market, um, in, in terms of Macintosh owners. And that number is slightly rising. So obviously, the people who write malware, they tend to write it more for a Windows computer because it's massively casting a wider net. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I still recommend having antivirus software for, for a Mac. Now we've covered off clicking on email links. Is there anything else you'll add to that? Because I I feel that you quite like, for instance, Calendly to book a link. Yeah. I think I did that for this this catch up. That, yeah. That's something you need to click on in an email. What are some best practice tools you'd recommend for, for somebody who wanted to protect themselves, but they know they have to click links as part of their day-to-day -day job um, I, within an email? I, I mean, I think it's about it, not necessarily, you don't have to spend money to have vigilance when looking at uh, email links. I, I would say just having a look at the link or how do you have a look at the link is, is what I mean. If you use, you know, there are certain software out there that, does it better than others like microsoft outlook is pro by far one of the more popular pieces of software um and it's it, it's but it's not the best in terms of how it handles links um so perhaps look at more secure email software if you can but what i would say is regardless of the software when you hover your mouse over the the link you'll get a full link. So usually um, it'll say something like click here, just the word here, and it doesn't show you the full link. Well, if you hover over the link, it will usually expand it to show you the whole At the link. bottom of the screen, it will show like Yeah, what? it's going to be there somewhere. It really depends on what uh, mail software you're using. But really look for that. And if... You know, if it says, um, if it's like a link to something on Microsoft or, or maybe, oh no, let's take one of the banks. Say it's, um, you know, Kiwi Bank, right? Okay, so it says Kiwi Bank and you know that kiwibank.co.nz is the link to Kiwi Bank. But all of a sudden, when you hover over that link and it says kiwi.wi slash bank or, or just something, you know, you really, really, really look at that link. Is it a legit looking link? It probably isn't. So it might be worth your time just going on to the Kiwi Bank website manually or, or finding out just what that link really is. Try not to just click it blithely. There's, um, there's software out there that um, will help you train and understand um, not to click on things. Um, there's a software like called No Before, um, and there's lots of antivirus, anti-malware software which will check the link before you actually click on it or during the, the click. It will take you to a sort of um, a verification, link verification service first before it actually 
pushes you on to things like that. But yeah, no before is quite good because it, it gives you sort of training on why you shouldn't click a link. Um, the stuff so training out there like that. I've heard some companies do phishing tests as well. That's right. So that's what Before does. Okay. Yeah, there's quite a few different softwares out there that does that sort of thing. And when we say phishing, we don't obviously mean like putting yeah. the hook out there and having cold ones. Yeah, pH phishing. Phishing, yeah. Cool. Um, and then we talked about this a little bit before, but limiting information online. So little things I do is I try and make my like Instagram or Facebook really private and, and cut down for sure that print, but it's hard. You know, we're putting all this content out here. Yeah, I think the main thing that I would say is that if you have an online presence, really, really think about the information that you put up there. Would you want Joe Public knowing about it, right? Having a, it's like having a, um, a postcard, right? When you send a postcard through the mail, the mail person can read the content on that and potentially anybody could see that. So would you post private information about you on the postcard? The answer is no. I would say the same applies to using social media. Don't post things that you don't want other people, even because the thing is that anybody could see it. So not even just your friends can necessarily see it. And it goes back to the thing I was talking about, your privacy settings. Always lock down your privacy settings as much as you possibly can. And I know that takes time and it's but sometimes a bit confusing. And I think that's almost deliberate by some of these social networks. But really just, just suppose, I think, that every piece of information that you post on social media can be seen by people that you wouldn't necessarily want to see that information so just don't post anything that you don't want to be seen can help people with the social engineering i absolutely i listened to a great podcast and it was called darknet diaries yeah great podcast this one episode was with this lady i can't remember her exact title somebody laughed at me when i was telling the story the other day her her, her title is like a a physical penetration tester or something like that yeah and her role is that businesses hire her to see where the flaws are in their company and she's not she doesn't know anything about computers all all she does know is how to manipulate people like security guards and there was one guy social engineering you must have heard this episode before it's with a scouse lady called jenny and um there was one story that i really found interesting there's a guy who hired her saying you can't you can't get me if you can get me I'll give you your bounty or whatever it is. And she went to such lengths where she she figured out that he'd like to go to this particular charity and then she turned up pretending to be a particular you know person that might want to donate to it. I, I'm probably telling a little bit um, different to how uh, she did, but um, the end story is that she managed to get into his office and then requested a decaf cup of coffee. So he had to go, oh, I think about that. And he left the office, his computer's unlocked. She sent an email um, to her saying, this is blah, 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 I've got into his system. Yeah. And yeah, I think it was some sort of like uh, Christian group or fellowship or something like that. Was that, was that a, I can't is, remember so exactly. The, all these people, you know, they would have meals and go out and be really good friends and so forth. And so she found that information on Facebook about these employees and then befriended those employees in this Christian fellowship group. And she did this for weeks. It wasn't just a day or two. She actually, you know, made, like got to know these people in the organization and then eventually moved, you know, up through the organization to get to know the CEO or something like that. So it was a slow, gradual process, but then she got to the computer and, and you know, hit the jackpot. And, and that was it, you know, so yeah, she got she got paid the ransom. Fortunately, she was one of the good people, not... That's it. <laughs> that's it. But yeah, but people imagine, do pay for this sort of service, yeah. So even thinking about that and just tying it back to what we discussed earlier, imagine that she does that whole decaf thing. She yeah. goes around to his desk, but he runs a clear desk policy and it's locked. Yeah, <laughs> much better. And that's a simple thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she would be stuffed. That would be her. No bounty for her, but yeah, yeah she got she got the bounty. She, she did. Um, and then, so the last point, I know we've we've... We've covered a lot of content here, so yeah. um, thank you for those who are still with us. But um, the last point was just your risk and asset register and, and what's yeah. best practice there. I, I have spoken to a lot of people. You know, I go through the boring stuff as well. So I, um, there's the Reserve Bank have actually got a really good um, sort of policy document online, uh, which is written in 2021. I really like it, but I guess you know I'm kind of techy and, and reading that document. It's probably about 
20 pages long. It's not huge, but it's also a lot to take in if you're dealing with, you know, risk and insurance and so forth. It makes sense, but also it's a lot to take in from a cyber perspective. One of the things which is um, as a takeaway, I would say, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of organizations and they don't have this, um, at least they don't have this in the way that it should be done. So a lot of organizations have an asset register and an asset register, in my opinion, should be people, process, it should be policies, and it should be technology. So it's not just about the things that you can kick. It's about the things that, you know, are your information. It's all of your assets of an organization. So there's assets and then there is the risk register, right? And a lot of businesses have risk register and asset register. They have two different documents. Now, that's fine. You can have those two different documents, but they become really powerful if you combine the two of them into one thing because you know, okay, this is my crown jewels, whatever that might be, whatever, whether it's a, you know, a server with all of your information on it about all your clients, but also think about, you know, how that and in, the information on that is, you know, what's the, the likelihood of that information being exposed are is, and also the risk of that happening. What's the actual you know, the risk. It's all connected. Yeah. So the DIA, for example, has what's called the five by five uh, risk register. And again, that, that you get scores based on that. So it's a really useful sort of um, method of scoring the, the risk and the likelihood. And so you can use those two things. And I, I help my clients with, you know, realizing the level of risk that they have over the assets in their organization. So yeah, at it sounds like it's a lot of work, but actually a lot of businesses already have the risk register and an asset register. It's just about putting them together. And it's and in the end of the day, it's just common sense. A lot of that is common sense. Yeah. I like it. We've we've covered a, a lot of good content. I think yeah. somebody could go away from having listened to this. Yeah. Make a few simple changes. Clear desk policy. Yeah. Like one great example before. Yeah. And 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 protect themselves. But um if they wanted to delve even further into this, where do they find you? Oh, they can find me. I'm on the web, so revolutioninfosec.com. Uh, they can get me on LinkedIn, of course. Just search for Alistair J. Ross. Um, and yeah, and I'm also on uh, YouTube. I do sort of videos a wee bit like this, just to, like little nuggets. Uh, some of them are only only just like three or nine minutes long. They're not they're not long videos. I try to you know make sure that our, our, we're all guilty of not having a big attention span. So yeah, just search for Revolution Infosec on YouTube as well. This is a very ambitious video, isn't it? This one? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you set aside a little bit of time, hopefully what I said at the beginning is your blast radius. Mm. You know, if you're not doing anything with regards to cybersecurity or a little bit, you know, your blast radius, the effect that it could have on your business could be this big, right? It could be the whole business. And and if you listen to the points that we've just talked about, it's probably been really worth your time. Uh, if you change your controls to put that these in place, your blast radius is that. So when you get attacked, the amount of risk that you have to your organization really will be minimized. Absolutely. So it's worth your time. I love this. Thank you. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate your time and, and coming in here. And I think um, good to have your expertise and just the somebody else preaching about it because I feel like I'm always talking about it. So um, thanks so much, Alistair. Alistair Ross from Revolution Infosec. Thanks for having me.